This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. Hey, I'm Veronica Dagger, and this is the Wall Street Journal Secrets of Wealthy Women, where women share how they tackle career, money, and the world. Today, we're speaking with Tammy Irwin, Executive Vice President and CEO of Verizon Business Group, a major division of Verizon Communications. Tammy started her career in customer service at Verizon before she eventually rose to the rank of CEO. The $30 billion unit she oversees has more than 26,000 employees worldwide and delivers communications and technology products to small and medium-sized businesses, governments, and educational institutions around the world. In March, Tammy had to pivot her massive staff to remote work due to the pandemic and continues to lead her team in the digital era. All the while, she has remained a passionate advocate for women in tech and a champion of career development programs for women in the field. She's here today to tell us how she honed her leadership skills, how she's adapted her organization to remote work, and how women can advance their careers in these difficult times. Welcome, Tammy. Thanks for joining us today. Of course, Veronica. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here and engage in the dialogue and conversation with you. So many interesting things happening in our world today. First, Tammy, you have a big job with a big title. Would you tell us in broad strokes, what do you do day in and day out? Yeah, so I'm really honored to be in this role as I think about how we effectively serve four key stakeholders at Verizon, uh, our employees, our customers, our shareholders, and then really society at large. And the way I spend my time has shifted pretty radically over the last five months. As somebody who manages a large field organization, prior to COVID, I spent a lot of time in the field in front of customers, in front of employees. And certainly COVID began to deal us a very different hand as it started in January in kind of the uh, Asia-Pacific markets as it began to then shift into Europe and then certainly here into the U.S. in March. You know, one of the things I have found most interesting in this uh, environment is the fact that we're really running three businesses. We're running the business of reacting and responding to COVID. We're running the business of the business. And then we're running the business of reimagining what life looks like in a post-COVID environment. What will we do differently on behalf of employees and customers? Uh, So it's a really fascinating time to be a leader because it's about caring for your employees and customers today while you pivot and reimagine what we'll learn from COVID, how we'll show up differently, and the business that we'll deliver in a post-COVID environment and the learnings we take from this. All really interesting. A lot of work, it sounds like. Uh, Definitely want to go into some of those points in a little bit. First, I want to talk a little bit more about your career. You started your career at Verizon in customer service. What did you learn from that role that's helped you with the rest of your career? 
Yeah. You know, it's so fascinating. As I started my career, I thought, oh, I'll do this customer service rep job for a couple of years. And when I grow up, I'll decide what I really want to do. And I don't know that I've totally grown up, but I love what I do. And the thing that I have really taken with me from my very early days in a customer service rep job was what we do on behalf of the customer is the reason that we exist as a business, how we serve customers and the importance of that service delivery. And then the secondary component of making sure that we as a leadership team show up on behalf of our frontline employees uh, and giving them the tools that they need to really be successful in delivering uh, on behalf of our customers. And so it's that balance between serving customers and making sure we equip our employees to be successful at how they serve customers that will always be at the core of how I lead and manage. I believe my job is to provide the tools, the resources, the information for my employees to be successful in the job they have in serving customers. And so uh, job number one, you know, rule number one from my early days is the customer is always right, but make sure your employees have the tools to be successful in helping the customer be right. How did you use that position to propel you into top management? I think uh, a couple things. I think, number one, uh, I've always operated from a philosophy of do a good job at the job you do and new opportunities will come your direction. And whether you're a customer service rep or you're uh, out in the field as a retail rep, the ability to prove that you can be successful in the job that you're in uh, and do it when nobody's looking, you just do the right thing. Operate with integrity, respect for others, consistently deliver results, deliver and learn good communication skills, and then dream big, reach high for what you want to do. You know, it's interesting, Veronica, when I think back on my career, I did not set out to say, I'd like to be the CEO at Verizon. I set out to say, I'm curious, I want to do great at the job that I'm in. And I've had this tremendous opportunity to be part of a growth business as I look at how rapidly wireless has grown. I look at what's ahead, the growth rate is going to be even faster than the last 25 years. And the ability to be right in the middle of that, be curious about the things around you, recognize that there's always more to do, and then jump in and assume responsibility for the work that's in front of you, delivering a great job with the values of integrity and respect have been really core to how I've taken that experience and propelled it into the role that I'm currently in. Some leaders' management style changes over time, and I read that you got feedback from a boss earlier in your management career that changed things for you. What do you tell us about that? This is such a good reminder for me and such a good lesson as I think about how, how I engage and interact with my employees. I had a boss that provided me the most pivotal feedback that I've ever had, and that was, Tammy, people don't like to work with you because you're so competitive. And I, I'm like, what do you mean I'm competitive? What I found in myself, Veronica, is I had a clear view of what I thought was the right action. I had urgency to get things done, but in managing the way I was engaging with my peers, um, I was not managing both my impact as well as my intent. My intent was to get the job done and get it done quickly. Uh, my impact was people are like, it's her way or the highway, and I don't want to work with her. And by putting a mirror to my face, by giving me that feedback, I had the opportunity to then really be intentional about how do I manage not only my intent, but how do I be conscious and thoughtful about the impact it may have on others? And one of the things that I've learned throughout my career is that the people that are going to be most impactful to your career are not necessarily your direct reports or your boss. They will be your peer group. They'll either cheer you on or they'll pull you down. And so the fact that I had a boss who was willing to give me that very direct feedback has really changed how I think about not only how I show up, but my responsibility to give feedback to others. Because I think 
think so often we operate with these blind spots in our career. And if somebody doesn't help us see those, give us the ability to change and modify our approach, we then don't have the opportunity to be the best version of ourselves. So I give that leader a ton of credit for his boldness. Um, I didn't like it when I heard it, but once I had time to absorb it and think through it and build it into my leadership skills and capability, it's really changed who I am as a leader. And how did you change your style specifically in dealing with people? Yeah, I had to stop and pause and be thoughtful about how do I invite others to be part of designing a solution. And I'll give you some specifics. In a meeting environment, rather than being the first one to jump in with, okay, here's the here's the solution, here's how we're going to solve this, invite others to be part of the dialogue and conversation about the problem that we're solving. It has created for me a leadership style that has allowed me to be much better at listening much better at inviting um, diverse thoughts into the conversation, realizing that there's more than one way to success and having others be part of, okay, what is the defined problem? How do we then design and deliver a solution? It doesn't necessarily have to be my way. Um, And as I've gone further in my career, it can't be my way. It needs to be the work of others, but it's allowed me to create an environment where we can be thoughtful, where we can plan together, where we can bring the best thinking of everyone on the team to the overall conversation. And it's then that we're able to really deliver a best in class solution to the problem that we're trying to solve. I also think it's allowed me to be better at delegating and it's allowed me to be better at creating an empowered work environment that believes they can deliver on the opportunities that sit in front of them. Like many companies, Verizon transitioned many employees into remote work. The team you oversee has 26,000 employees, as you mentioned, worldwide. Walk us through those early days of that transition. I mean, as a leader, how do you make decisions when information changes so frequently? Uh, This was a different kind of a crisis. This was a crisis of healthcare and a global crisis that we had never dealt with on this scale. And so making sure you have all the information, but recognizing nobody has all the answers has been part of how we've worked at Verizon. Um, Our CEO, Hans Vestberg, has had a daily call with his VLC, so part of our senior leadership team. Every day we came together to make sure that we were aligning on the information and the facts that we had, that we were creating a framework for how we could care for our employees and make sure that they had the right tools, the right resources, the right detail to be effective at goal number one, priority number one, safety for our employees. Uh, And so I think that communication component of coming together to get all the facts and then designing a common infrastructure for how we dealt with the crisis was an important component. The other thing that I think has been really important is that we have continued to do what we call a daily up to speed, which is at 12 o'clock noon East Coast time, we open up a 30-minute segment of communication, and we communicate worldwide to Verizon employees and anybody else who wants to join up to speed on what's happening at Verizon and what are the actions that we're taking on behalf of employees, on behalf of customers. What do you as an employee need to know today? What do you as a customer need to know? How do we highlight the successes that we've seen in managing through the crisis? And I think that core communication has been really important. The other piece that I think has been important is that we are a U.S.-based business, but we operate in you know, 180 countries around the world. I have employees in 60 countries. And so recognizing that for the, our, my team in Asia, their experience is different than it is in the U.S. and same thing for EMEA, our Europe markets. And so we've done specific calls with those teams to really say, what are you experiencing? What do you need? But again, against a common framework so that they feel part of the bigger Verizon, but that we also customize what may be happening 
based on where they're living in the geo that they're in. Um, I think getting that information and then really making sure that we don't just internalize, but we have reached out to our customers around the world. How do we need to serve hospitality customers different than banking customers? Because they have a different set of needs and expectations. How do we show up on behalf of small businesses? Because they're taking the brunt of the COVID environment. How do we show up on behalf of healthcare workers? Because we know the importance that they play. How do we show up on behalf of educators? So really being in tune to what does the external world need from us? And I've talked to many, many CEOs over the last five months on what did they need and then we always compare notes on how are you how are you reacting and responding in the crisis? What can we do collectively and together? And so I think the ability to really listen, communicate, and build a common infrastructure to serve all four customers has been really critical to how we've shown up on behalf of this crisis. What would you say the challenges are of remote leadership? Yeah, I, I think there's something really special about the face-to-face -face communication. We're social creatures. We like to be face-to-face. -face. We like to be able to engage and see people and read the room when you're working in an environment. I, I can read the faces on my Zoom or my BlueJeans platform, but it's hard to really see the human dynamic that you see when you're face-to-face, -face, when you get to uh, have the sidebar conversations with someone around, how are your kids doing? What's going on? How was your vacation? That communication, that relationship building, that happens. Uh, one of the things that I really miss is just having the random hallway conversations or the coffee conversations that you have with your coworkers. I think so much of business is built on the relationships that you have. I think about coaching and developing my team. It's hard to coach and develop when you're face-to-face -face on video and you don't know whose kids are in the room. It's much easier to have a planned conversation around performance, around career goals, when you're face-to-face. -face. And so reimagining how you communicate I think is going to be important, but I don't think we'll live in this environment forever. We'll find a balance between the best of what we've learned from COVID and the best of what we've had in the past that will give us a great environment that I think will be effective for everybody. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, Tammy's going to speak to us about how she supports small businesses during the pandemic and how women can keep their careers on track during these challenging times. This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. You mentioned small business before, and your division works closely with small businesses, which have been really hard hit during the coronavirus. How has Verizon supported these businesses? Would you elaborate on that a bit? 
Yeah, you know, this is an area where I'm really excited about the work that we've done. Um, we had a program right out of the gates for small businesses to say, uh, pay it forward program, which was put a spotlight on small businesses. You know, what we know about small businesses is that 65 to 70% of businesses imagine that they can come back and be successful post-COVID, but 30 to 35% are not sure that they can reopen their business, their small business, and that's devastating. And so the ability for us to really highlight and put a spotlight on what we call Pay It Forward uh, live program was the ability to bring together performers and gamers to uh, have both on a Tuesday and a Thursday night the ability to stop and not think about COVID, but watch a performer share their experience and their exposure uh, was really important for us to be able to put a spotlight. We donated $4 million to the program and uh, ended up giving grants back to 400 different businesses, many of whom were owned by women or minorities. And these were grants up to $10,000 that make a huge difference to a small business that's trying to figure out how do you manage payroll? uh, How do you think about uh, reinvesting in your business? What we found is about 50% of the businesses did not have a digital front door. So when you think about the business closing when their front door closed, their business closed because they didn't have a digital front door and the ability to engage digitally. And so that was a big deal for our small businesses. We've launched recently what we call Comeback Coach, which is the ability to have businesses be part of a coaching system and provide a a coach to everybody who wants it on how do I think about bringing back my business in a post-COVID environment. WJ's reporting 4 million businesses in the United States are expected to close their doors in 2020. How is your division preparing to handle the shock? Because, you know, so many of these businesses are your customers. Yeah, listen, I think that there are businesses that we expect will close their doors. And I think there are businesses that will open their doors and businesses that will grow. Um, And I think it's the kind of uh, ebbs and flows of business. I think certainly we are seeing an economic downturn that we have never, I, I think I would say never experienced on this scale when you think about the global economic impact. Uh, It's like nothing we've ever experienced before. And so we're really doing a number of things. We have shown up on behalf of, we participated in the Keep America Connected program, which gave small businesses a longer time period to not pay their bill, to continue to have uh, incremental data services that they needed during the crisis period of time. Uh, We've shown up to renegotiate on behalf of enterprises, both their rates as well as their terms for payment. One of the things that we've seen, Veronica, we have seen businesses over the last couple of years talk about digital transformation as a priority to their business, but they kind of took their time getting there. When COVID hit, every business had to reimagine their business. How could they use digital to show up differently on behalf of their customers, on behalf of their employees? What were the right work tools? How did you make sure you had good security in the process? Um, And so we believe that if we're a partner for our customers today, that as their business comes back, as they reimagine growth, as new businesses come in, that we will be the partner of choice for what we believe will be an accelerated digital transformation. And part of the reason that we're seeing that digital acceleration is that customers had no choice but to accelerate their digital efforts on behalf of providing their employees with tools, on behalf of providing customers with access to their business in a digital ecosystem. Now, one of the things that I'm particularly proud of is that we have continued to scale our 5G global leadership during this crisis period. And I believe that showing up on behalf of businesses as we think about what can we do to help them in a post-COVID post-economic turnaround time, it will be to make sure we show up with the best technology available 
to serve their customers. And we believe that is really through the capabilities that we're building with 5G. Uh, 5G is built for industrial and commercial use cases. So when I think about how do I serve small and medium businesses, uh, how do I serve global enterprise customers, how do I serve educators and first responders in the public sector, uh, it really is through having the best tech available for them to solve their biggest business problems. And we see that with the 5G leadership in both mobility, fixed wireless, and then mobile edge compute, which will really change the way businesses can engage uh, and the tools that they have available for their recovery as they reimagine their business in a post-COVID environment. Are you worried, though, those small businesses closing is going to affect your own results, though? There's no question that will impact my results, but um, I'm more worried about how I serve those small businesses because I'm a big business. I have the ability to reimagine with different kinds of customers. I have many of my enterprise customers who are growing very, very quickly. I have a lot a lot of growth opportunities and I'll ultimately balance it. The question for me is how can I show up today on behalf of those small businesses to really help enable their capability? How do we provide the best services and capabilities, the best programs on behalf of small businesses? Yes, I will see some customer loss, but there's a whole other base of customers that I can acquire. And when I do the right thing on behalf of customers, the right thing on behalf of employees, when I lead on technology, when I can reimagine digital transformation on behalf of my customers, I think I position myself uh, and the brand overall to really be a partner of choice for businesses. And I gain a bigger piece of the overall market share in doing so. WHJ's reported on how because of the pandemic, more mothers are dropping out of the workforce, partly because it could be tough to manage kids at home along with their careers. Tammy, you're a big advocate for women in the workplace, especially women in tech, and have served as an executive sponsor for the women's group at your company. Now that we're heading into the fall, how do you make sure women with children who also may be schooling their kids at home are still able to keep advancing their careers in this new, very challenging environment? And to be fair, while this burden tends to impact women more, it also impacts men. Yeah, there, there is no question that moms are bearing um, an unfair burden uh, in terms of the impact of COVID. And I would tell you that I think it is going to be a challenge for women and making sure that we provide the right kind of caregiver programs so that women have flexibility about how they manage those responsibilities. Uh, providing the right environment where we allow our employees to say, take the first hour of your day, get your kids started with schooling and then be flexible about the work environment, having open communication with employees around the challenges that they're having and how we can help to balance those and help to promote that. And then I think being aware of the fact that women are bearing an oversized component of this um, pandemic because of their responsibilities, and then finding ways to be able to say what tools are required for them to be successful, providing flexibility in how they work. My experience is that more and more men are want to be part of the solution. And for me, part of the conversation of women in leadership and women in tech has been uh, to really invite men to be part of the solution. This is not a woe is me, it's unfair. This is a we have an opportunity to scale and be part of the tech movement in a way that we've never imagined before. In order to do that, it really requires men to be part of that conversation. This is not a women's issue. This is a leadership issue, and it's an economic issue. And when we invite men into the conversation and ask them to be part of creating an ecosystem that allows women to be successful uh, and allows uh, women to be able to raise their hand and say, I want to be part of that, and then pro providing and enabling women to have the right skills around communication 
around networking, around confidence and building and confidence capability, and then really allowing women, listen, we're not great at asking for help. We need to be better at saying, you know what, I need help with the kids or I need help with, you know, the housekeeping or I need help with education. I've never met a service I didn't love. And so finding a way to reach out and bring those services in to supplement the way that women are working so that they can imagine having a career and managing through this, I think has been really important. What does management need to say to support women, especially when their staff is mostly working from home? How do they start those conversations? I think the conversation needs to be, we're here for you, and we can do this together. It requires flexibility on behalf of employees, meaning flex- employees have invited us into their home and said, I'll create a work environment uh, to serve customers in my home. Uh, for many, that means that they're standing in their pantry or their utility room or their closet, and they're trying to carve out a little bit of space. They're trying to share broadband with their kids who are gaming or on you know, education, and they're debating who's got first steps on broadband. It's about acknowledging that we're all working in different environment. And the conversation needs to be a real conversation. I've got two kids that I'm trying to figure out how to educate them. School starts at 8 o'clock in the morning. I need that first hour. Can I flex my time? And finding a way to enable employees to be able to do that. And those are the kinds of conversations that we're having with our employees around how do we partner together. And then recognizing that there are some employees that are going to need to take some time. We've created a caregiver program that allows for employees to take paid time off to care for their kids or to care for aging parents, which is a bigger and bigger issue, so that employees have the ability to acknowledge the pressure that they have, uh, build programs around it, and then have good open communication about what can we do to partner together to deliver shared success. What do women need to do and say to get the career support they need from their managers when they can't see them in person each day? Yeah, I, I think that one of the things that's so important for employees, whether you're in a COVID environment and non-COVID environment is being clear about what you want from your career. Um, this is something, Ronica, I wish I had done earlier in my career is be intentional and purposeful about what are my career objectives. And I encourage men and women to be clear around what are the skills that make you great at what you do today? What are the things that you would like to develop in terms of skills and capabilities? What are the jobs that you can imagine doing that would allow you to experience that? What are the things that you love to do? And then have that open conversation with your manager. We've just completed mid-year reviews. Um, I put a lot of time and effort into those conversations because I want to be prepared to provide good feedback to my employees. But part of it is building a development plan together. Each and every one of my direct reports has a defined development plan. It's not a performance improvement plan. It's different entirely. It's a development plan, which is what are the two or three or four things, actions that we're going to take to create a development of you as talent to be relevant for the future? And women need to be intentional about making sure they've taken the time to assess their skills, taken the time to imagine the things they love to do and want to do, and then declaring what it is they want. I think as women, we oftentimes sit back and wait. We don't declare what we want and say, this is what I want. Help, will you help me get there? And so my encouragement to women is declare what you want, be bold, be confident, and uh, ask for the opportunity. Thank you so much for joining us, Tammy. Thank you so much, Veronica. And I love that you're putting a spotlight on all these issues that are so important. The more we have dialogue and conversation with one another, the better we'll get at this. And I just believe women have such unlimited potential. It's about really leaning in and working together to deliver on that. 
If you'd like to hear more stories of inspiring women, you can find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite audio provider. If you like us, subscribe, share us on social media, and give us a review. Our producer is Trine Nori. Our executive producer is Kateri Yoakum. Additional help from personal finance editor Bray Lamb. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. The Claude 3 model family by Anthropic is your one-stop shop for enterprise AI. Haiku is lightning fast and cost-effective. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between skills and speed. And Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Learn more at anthropic.com slash Claude.